Hey there, I'm Simeon. And I'm Mary. And welcome to the Two Nerds. And their journey through the essential literacy practices. Whole new worlds were created as rock twist on into unexplored territory within Mars generally. There's always the theme that one has to innovate and reevaluate and move on. So, Kyle, thanks for joining us today. Welcome, Simeon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, ex- exciting work going on. Uh, I think a lot of work that's gone on around the state really started a while back, and I think you've been involved uh, sort of from jump with a couple of different projects. Could you share a little bit about your involvement and, and really how you see the the work coming together now with this Hill Grant and with the work on the essentials? And, and you were part of the Reading Now Network, right? Yeah, sure. Thank you for the opportunity to share. I've been in education now for 20 years, which is hard to believe. You don't look like it. (laughs) A former uh, elementary teacher and principal, and I work now at the um, Ottawa ISD as Assistant Superintendent for Instructional Services. But I don't know how to explain this, but I think something is converging, something special around early literacy in our state. So sort of like a conspiracy theory, but in a it, good way. It, it, it's, it's, there, there are so many important voices and powerful organizations mm. putting their emphasis on early literacy. It's a focus within our state like I've never seen before. But it all goes back a while for me. Um, I studied at Western Michigan University in my doctoral studies with Dr. Pat Reeves. Go Broncos? Um, yeah, go Broncos. And I'm a Spartan too, so all right. go green. But... Um, <laughs> You know, that dates back 10 or 15 years, and I uh, always was amazed, and still am, with Dr. Reeves and her knowledge and expertise around leadership in schools. And so that that kind of was inside of me and the practices that we were trying to instill in school leaders in West Michigan, dating back, you know, 10, 10 to 15 years. And then um, about five years ago, the superintendents in West Michigan really came to understand that literacy outcomes, early literacy outcomes for children in West Michigan were not what we wanted or hoped for for our children. And they made a commitment to partner together in the form of Reading Now Network. And I was invited to be a part of that work with other colleagues around West Michigan. And so that became, you know, something I felt deeply passionate about and have been supporting the work of the Reading Now Network for going on five years now. And then in the meantime, simultaneously, GELN, who many kind of take um, for granted now, most people understand that GELN is a group of instructional leaders, general education leadership network um, from around the state, and they are influential and proactive and they have a task force that has produced the essential instructional practices and school-wide practices and in, in literacy at literacyessentials.org but that group was um, forming strengthening and becoming more collaborative at the same time and so the hill project brings all three together you have dr pat reeves and Dr. Shen and their expertise around leadership in schools. You have the Reading Now Network that really had that um, shared commitment and sustained commitment among school practitioners uh, and public school leaders. And then you had the instructional leadership from the General Education Leadership Network and the Early Literacy Task Force that brings the best researchers like Dr. Nell Duke and Dr. Tanya Wright around the practices that need to happening at every classroom every day. 
And when you combine all three within the Hill Project, you have leadership at the school level, you have classroom practices, things that need to be happening, and then you have the Reading Now Network bringing the commitment of local educators Mm -hmm. to implement. And so you kind of have these three ingredients of leadership, commitment to implementation, and the best research. And when you put all three of those together in a school, in a classroom, how could you not be optimistic that results will improve for children? So we've got this two and a half years, which is an intensely um, uh, almost, um, I don't want to say unrealistic because we're going to. It's a short amount of time, right? We need need to get results fast and we will. But how could you not be optimistic when, when, when else in our educational careers have we harnessed this much horsepower collectively to change practice at the classroom level and have educators on board, not because they're at being asked to be compliant, but, but because they're committed and they're engaged in the work. So I don't know how you can't help but be hopeful and um, think that this work is, is definitely going to make a difference for our children. So it's exciting, right? This is local work, west side of the state, some really powerful things converging and coming together, but yet these essentials are statewide as well. And just listening to you talk, you know, I'm reminded – you know, that, oh, that cord of three strands is really tough to break. You've got the Hill Project, you've got Reading Now. So there's this network that was already out there, yeah. and then you're infusing in those essential practices. That's really exciting. And, Kyle, what I was wondering, too, listening to you and, and how all three of these are coming together, and you've had the chance to visit a lot of school districts throughout West oh, Michigan. Yeah. What makes you smile today, thinking about the work <laughs> where we started mm-hmm. in and where we've already gone in just a short two mm-hmm. years? Yeah, I've... I had the opportunity to be in an amazing amount of schools. The project, the Hill Project, you know, visited 76 elementary schools between, I think, December and March of last wow. year. And so I didn't get on all 76 visits, <laughs> but I probably was on at least 50 and 50 different elementary schools. And sometimes we, I think, have the tendency to think that the teachers and the schools in our town are doing a good job, but it's over there that they're not really working hard mm. and doing uh, yes. doing putting forth the effort that needs to happen for children. And that's not what we found. I'm going to say 95 to 100% of teachers are putting forth full effort. And so that's what makes me smile is that as hard as this job is, everyone's giving full effort. And I think that the challenge for us is less about asking educators to give more effort, but to make sure our full effort is aligned with the best research. Yeah, I mean, if we're over here spinning our wheels, working our tail off, but we're not working on the right stuff. We need to work smarter, not harder. Yeah, exactly. And nobody objects to that. When we present the research of the essential practices – and we have the collective commitment through Reading Now Network and Hill Project, teachers are not slow to embrace new research. They, mm-hmm. they generally are curious to know, how can I be most effective? And what do I need to learn and improve? And I see that willingness there to do that. And um, so, so that's what makes me smile and makes me really hopeful is our work is being embraced. It, it, it is being accepted and there's very little resistance to what we're attempting to accomplish. And so you, you have to believe that that's going to make a difference for children. 
Absolutely. Like this is an invitation to participate. Come join us. Come join in this work. Let's, and, and as I think about it, when I think about those essentials and about uh, the work that the Hill Project's on about, I think a lot about equity, right? Yeah. How can we guarantee success for yeah. all kids, yeah. right? And that's really, that's a powerful yeah. orientation to the work. So, Dan Pink's Drive, the one key to take away from that book that I read about five years ago was that autonomy leads to engagement, but control leads to compliance. And I think so, my, my history in education around school improvement is way more around control and compliance than it is around autonomy and engagement. Mm. And I think our whole approach to this work, beginning with the instructional rounds visits and how we do pre-meetings and post-meetings with teachers, we give them feedback, but we ask for their input on that feedback. And everything is set up to increase the efficacy of teachers, which, by the way, to quote another um, famous researcher, um, John Hattie, who says the number one effect size on student achievement is teacher efficacy. Mm. So with every action we take in the Hill Project and the Reading Now Network around the research of the essentials, I hope it's to increase the efficacy and empowerment of teachers and not to hand them a checklist and demand that they comply. Exactly. Because that won't work. Exactly. exactly. So that empowerment to take that necessary move that they need to do in the classrooms through that solid research to move it forward in Michigan yeah. for our students. Yeah. You know, early you asked me what makes me smile. We've had teachers in this, when we, when we share with them, like we visit their classrooms. Yeah. And it's a, it's a little risk for them to let yes. strangers like you and me walk in their classroom, observe yes. what they do ask them some questions and give them some honest feedback. I mean, I give them credit for even allowing us to do that. It would be uncomfortable for any of us in our profession to have sure. someone else come in and watch us do our job and give us feedback. But we've had teachers at the conclusion of that project, and I'm not exaggerating to say things like, I was going to retire, but this is what I've been waiting for. This work is making a difference for me. I can't believe you're actually listening to us. This is the feedback that we needed. We knew we needed to make these changes, but we needed to hear it from someone else as a whole group. Sometimes it can be an emotional experience for teachers because they've been in this system of improving schools that asks them to comply, often with things they don't even agree with. And it's like we're not in charge of our own profession. I mean, with doctors and lawyers and other highly educated professionals comply with mandates that they don't agree with, I think they'd put up more of a protest than we have as <laughs> educators. Sure. And um, so we're really seeking to get deep down to that level of re-engaging and, and empowering teachers with as leaders within their own profession. How, you know, when you were talking about the schools that we've already visited, and I'm thinking about the future and just the excitement you've seen in those schools and the changes and going through, um, looking now, not just in that performance and that compliance stage, but moving to that learning and being vulnerable. As we look <clears throat> to the next year, how many more schools are going to benefit from this opportunity? Yeah, so the design of the Hill Project is we have two cohorts, cohort A and cohort B, 76 schools in each cohort. And the way this federal grant is designed is it's a, it's a large-scale research study. So the schools in cohort B 
are demographically as identical as possible as the schools in cohort A. Similar poverty levels, similar student demographics in terms of minority and, and several other variables. So our job in the next year and a half is to satisfy the United States Department of Education that we have had measurable impact in the first cohort of schools, cohort A. And if and only if we do satisfy the, the Department of Education that we have made impact based on test scores and also qualitative surveys administered mm. within the schools, then we receive another round of funding to provide similar supports or the same supports for the cohort B schools. And those cohort B schools already know who they are and they want to be part of this project and they were disappointed that they're cohort B, they wanted to be cohort A. And so the pressure's on that that we need we need to get results in cohort A so that we don't disappoint all those cohort B schools. And I know through our Essential Series Night that a lot of teachers are so excited because it's not, they're feeling empowered through the essentials, and it's about them. They feel like they're about them and the practices that they do every day in their classroom. Mm. One thing they wanted to question the other night, they said, if you get an opportunity ever to ask anyone, yeah. can you ask them, how do we sustain the work? So it's not like the next new thing and then that goes out the door. But no. how, do we, yeah. how do we sustain this work and keep it about these instructional practices? That's a great question. Um, so many initiatives have come and gone just in the 20 years that I've been an educator, and, and how do we um, make sure that this initiative around literacy is not just the flavor of the month or the year and that, and that we will sustain the focus? I don't know if I have the perfect answer to that question in terms of how we do that, but I am very optimistic that we will because the Reading Now Network is five years along in its path now, and there's no loss of momentum. And I can share just yesterday, true story from yesterday. I had a phone call from the ISD in Alpena. I had a phone call from the ISD in Ingham County. And I had a region in the Thumb area, Bay City, Bay Aranac ISD, all three wishing to join the Reading Now Network. So... I feel like momentum is gaining, not waning. And when I look at the television commercials for our advertisements for our gubernatorial candidates, early literacy is one of the first you know, priorities for them. I see our business leaders in Michigan starting a new initiative called Launch Michigan that many may not have heard of yet, but one of their first work groups is early literacy. So at this time, I think our politicians, our school leaders, our business leaders all have a sense of urgency around early literacy Mm. and are aligning around that priority. And so if I was a literacy coach or a teacher or a principal or a school administrator, I'm not worried that the focus on early literacy is going to disappear anytime soon. I think this will be the top priority in our state for at least the next three to five years or until we fix this situation that we find ourselves in. Sure. So I don't wake up in the morning wondering if I should stop focusing on early literacy because there's a new hot topic that hasn't happened in the past five years. I don't think it's going to happen in the next five years. Yeah. You know, and Kyle, we, we were on a couple of rounds together. I got to sit with you and there was this question that every time we asked it to the folks involved in schools, like you could see the passion come out for our 
for our practitioners in the classrooms and our principals. And so I want to ask you that same question here as we get ready to wrap up. <laughs> if you had one wish, if you had just one wish, if you had a magic wand for this work, if you had oh, no. a way to... <laughs> Turning the tables on you. You know, I mean, yes. what, would, what would that be for you? I mean, because my kids are in school, your kids are in school, they're roughly the same age, you know, and... I mean, I'm just wondering from your perspective, because you are so connected in across the state at different levels, what would your one wish be, you know, to move forward? I think that I feel strongly that um, we lack the leadership structure in Michigan as a state around early literacy Mm. to bring a coherent strategic plan to improve our state in in early literacy. And I, I don't think it's impossible at all for us to be, we should be, Michigan should be the most improved state in the nation in early literacy within the next three to five years. And I think it's extremely within our reach. There are 2,000, 2000 elementary buildings out there in our state. And if you organize them according to the Reading Now Network data tool that we use, correlating sure. risk factors like poverty with achievement. Sure you will see that about a third of them, let's say about 500 of the 2,000 schools, are outperforming what you would expect. They're doing a great job. So that reduces our total number to 1,500 schools we need to think about. Then you have about 1,000 schools that are doing an acceptable job in early literacy. And so that reduces our number from 2,000 down to 500 schools approximately, well, that still seems like a pretty big number, but there are, let's say there are 50 ISDs in the state. 50, there's actually more than 50, but let's just use round numbers. 50 ISDs in the state. So wait a minute, if my math is right, yeah. 50 ISDs, 500 yeah. schools, you're yeah. talking about yeah. maybe 10 schools for yeah. each ISD, right? Now you're tracking with me. Yeah. If every ISD could just bring significant support to 10 buildings around early literacy, like we have done in the Reading Now Network with our lab schools, which is still the design of the Hill Project as round, uh, Hill Project as well. Visit the school, use our literacy rounds process to understand what it is they need, and then provide that over a sustained period of time, two to three years. We're getting results in those schools. And I think if we'd get organized in our state, use the 50 ISDs to support 10 schools each, with a Hill Project, Reading Now Network, lab school type approach, within three years, we could move those 500 underperforming schools much closer to performing at or above what you would expect, and it would lift our whole state. I think we have all the, all the um, raw materials, all the resources. I'm not even saying more money, really. I think it's just a matter of organizing around an organized plan of implementation statewide. Well, and I think, right, so with the Reading Now Network, we know what works, right? We, we've seen ways to improve schools, and as well with the Hill Project, uh, you know, we're, we're able to give some feedback and then invite the school to, to move that work forward in a way that fits yeah. for them, right? It's yeah. not a one-size-fits-all cookie-cutter yeah. approach, and that's with the essentials, right? Yeah. The essentials are program agnostic. We're not talking about this program or that program. We're talking about what we know works in the classroom to help kids learn how to read, and that's powerful. I think you are you are right. It's, it's, it's all within our reach. It's not quite as simple as I described it, 
because some ISDs are smaller than sure. others and yeah. would have a difficult time deeply supporting 10 schools. But perhaps some ISDs are much larger and could support more than 10 schools. Also, the 500 schools that are underperforming might not be evenly dis- distributed geographically across the state. And so, for example, in Wayne County, we probably have more than 10 schools underperforming. Sure. But if we had that structure statewide within a position of at the top of our organizational chart that could deploy our resources where they're needed most across those 500 schools to do this kind of work that I'm describing, I just... I would just be so optimistic that it would work and that we would rapidly lift the entire state and we'd see Michigan no longer in the the low-achieving, low-improving quadrant of the NAEP scores nationwide. Right. We'd put ourselves up there with Massachusetts within the next three to five years as one of the highest-achieving, highest-improving states in our nation. Awesome. Well, Kyle, thanks for your time today. Thank you. As rock pushed on into unexplored territory within arms generally, there's always the feeling that one has to innovate and reevaluate and move on.